Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie, low-cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8 Dublin's Talking Sport Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Morning, Ken. How are you? Morning, Reg. Uh, over there, you're getting busy. Um, UK Championship, of course. UK Championship starts today, Red. Yeah, big big, yeah. big tournament. And a big tour, a big match to start off, which was the final last year. Uh, Mark Allen, defending champion, who beat things from me in the final last year. He's playing them in the first round. they drawn in the fourth round to play each other. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be a cracking uh, match to start off the tournament. Sold out as well. Yeah. Uh, since they brought it back from four tables, uh, down to two, mm. so so the top sixteen. Uh, it's a bit like the world championship. Top sixteen already seeded through, and the, uh, the, the qualifiers come through to play them. So, uh, but yeah, sold out, and uh, it's going to be a big weekend. As the start of the UK championship is great, absolutely here in York, beautiful city York here, and uh, in the Barbican Centre in York. Everybody's always talking about York being magnificent. I've never, I don't think I've ever gotten to it. Maybe I've been passing through it, but I've never actually stayed there. Great but, uh, historical city, yeah. I believe so, yeah. Um, I see Luca Vassell has taken on Yuan Sijun as well. Yeah, that was the guy that beat me, Reg, in the last round. I, I Didn't like to say. I needed to beat him <laughs> <laughs> to qualify. Would have been playing Vassell, it would have been really lovely, you know. Uh, and of course, he's the, the you know, world champion and. Having, uh, you know, at the time of his life, he's traveling around the world. He bought a Ferrari and, yeah. and uh, a few other cars. And, uh, he's the, yeah, he's going to have a good year's world champion. And he, he starts out against the something who's Sheffield. Absolutely. Okay. I see Ronnie as well has taken on Anthony McGill. Um, I started watching the documentary there on Thursday evening. I didn't get to finish it all, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be very, very good. And of course, he was mic'd up during the World Championship win, not last year, the year before last. Yeah. When he won it, when he jumped in the final, he was mic'd throughout the whole uh, championship. Mm. So that, that'd be very, very interesting. He had David Beckham, who was the producer of, of the uh, documentary. Yeah. He had him at the premiere doing the Q&A. Uh, and Stephen Hendry went to that was really, really good. So I really enjoyed it. Great footage. Yeah, no, it's very good. It's very, very good. I mean, you know, he's rubbing shoulders with the elite. You got Ronnie Wood there, and himself and Jimmy are obviously great mates with Ronnie. And then you got David Beckham knocking around, and it's it's kind. You, I haven't got you in there yet, but you'll get there some stage. I didn't get the invite. You're on the. I think you're on the cutting room floor somewhere, but we'll find you somewhere. Don't worry, stick you back in, cut and paste you back in, Ken. Don't worry. But. <laughs> no, we will. We'll find it. But it is. It's a. It's a very interesting documentary. I'm enjoying it. I haven't, like I said, I, yeah. I couldn't quite finish it, but I am. I am enjoying it. But it's been an interesting life, is the only way to describe yeah. it. But oh, he yeah, seems whatever. to be yeah. coming whatever. out the other side. I, mean, of I remember it well. when I came over to England Force. You know, his father used to send a taxi for me to go around and practice with him. He was only 12 years of age at the yeah. time. Yeah, and uh, I used to play him quite regular. You know, as, as from 
from that age right up until uh, well right up until I left, which was over ten years like later. Yeah. Still, even at twelve, like he was knocking in century breaks, like in more four sevens. He was amazing, absolutely, absolutely. amazing, most most amazing player I've ever seen. Well, it'd be interesting to see how he gets on in the Barbican and in the Championship. Mm. What uh, are your thoughts? Who, who do you think is going to be good or have a chance of winning? Yeah, it? I think, uh, well, Ronnie hasn't actually played in the UK. He's, he's only played in the joint events. Uh, he's the only one he's to go for. Mm. Um, but this will be his first sort of UK event to play in this this season. Uh, Mark Allen, who beat Joe Trump in the Champion Champions last week, he's playing really well. Trump is having... Having a great season, he's won three tournaments, lost in two finals. Uh, he's having an amazing season so far this year. Uh, so they would be the, the sort of the top three protagonists, I'd say, for this uh, this tournament. You know, it's amazing, yeah, really, and it's such a big championship. It really is a big a big event. Yeah, uh, would it be second, or would the Masters be second to the World Championship? I think the Masters is regarded as second because that's the top sixteen okay. the elite players. Uh, I think that's probably a little bit more prestigious. You know, just about the World Championships, the Masters, and then the UK champion yeah. of champions. Maybe after that, or the Tour Championship will probably come in even after that. But uh, yeah. Okay. But it is. It's a massive tournament. It's one of the majors. They call it one of the. It's one of the triple crown events, which is the, you know, the BBC events, the Masters, the UK, and the World Championship. Yeah. And anybody who's won all three, you might see them wearing a little gold, uh, little crown on the waistcoat. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. right. Okay, I will watch out for that. Simple, yeah. yeah. Ronnie's won it seven times. I knew that he'd won it. Yeah, I knew he was a uh, prolific winner and all right, and, and the world championship. But um, yeah. you know, it's just uh, trying to beat all the records now. But as he says himself in the documentary, he's able to just take it or leave it nowadays. You know, and enjoy life. Yeah. So not putting that pressure on I know, himself. He's, he's a lot of struggles with mental health. Yeah, over the years, of course, you know, which is well documented. So uh, yeah, he just sort of takes it as he as he finds it now, and he's still very competitive though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but sort of doesn't sort of take it too much to heart if he if he doesn't get the result. Now, and I yeah. suppose that's a good way to be. Yeah, know? it's good that he's up with it about his mental health because that helps other players as well be able to open up with it. You know, and a few of the other players put it as well. You know. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Um, you may not get a chance tonight, but of course, huge fight in Dublin. Uh, Katie oh, Taylor Katie taking Taylor. on Chantel Cameron, yeah, yeah trying to trying to that's take that title. Yeah, exactly. It's a sort of the rematch. Isn't yeah, it? the rematch after May, I think it was when they last yeah. Uh, fought. Yeah, it was uh, the only. It was our only loss, isn't it? Yeah, in my career, but she'd be hoping to to get it back and hopefully in front of our home crowd. Now she can she can do it. You know, Been oh, a great. I, 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 I mean, they put a statue of her up in Bray Head there um, yeah, last week, so it's uh, around the corner from my mother's house. So I, I, I know it well, but it'll be yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's a bit like Rocky. I don't think I'll be running up the steps to to, to try and see it now the way Rocky did, but I, I might walk up with the dog and have a look. At it. I haven't seen it yet, but she's an incredible ambassador. But I, I think she's going to do it tonight. The build up has been amazing all week. Um, the atmosphere is good. She was in Dundrum. There's a buzz around the place. She looks yeah. very focused, very determined. I think she's going to do it. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. She deserves it. Now, and uh, as you said, she's been a great ambassador for years and years. And, uh, and she's still going, you know. And uh, she still loves her, loves her sport, loves, loves competing. And, uh, yeah, 
fantastic. Yeah, it's been, and it's some weekend of sport as well, of course, with the Premier League coming back. Um, Leinster taking on Munster this evening as well. I'm going to be talking to Wins Slattery about that very shortly, but um, yeah, that's going to be a cracker. Leinster have picked an Irish team and they're playing against Munster. It's unreal the strength that they have. (laughs) Absolutely unreal. Now, everybody is kind of going, ah, this will be easy for Leinster. They'll walk it or whatever, but I'm not so sure they'll they'll have to go out and perform uh, because Munster will always put a battle up to them, but there's no doubt Munster are missing a few of their key players so it's going to be a mm. tough one for them but it should yeah. still be a cracking match absolutely yeah you know, they're looking forward to that mm. um, your beloved United taking on Everton this Everton, week isn't it yeah, he'll be docked 12 points Reg, yeah you know, for, mad for, over the financial fair play rules mm. uh, and of course Man City they still have a 15 charges hanging above them <laughs> uh, if they're ever brought against them it's going to take to go through all down but uh but I wonder what'll happen now when it the, comes down. They'll be docked some amount of points, Ken. What's that? <laughs> they'll be docked some amount of points. 115 <laughs> charges. They'll end up in the Conference League, maybe, you know. <laughs> they'll be down with Wrexham. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Reynolds versus United. that would be just perfect. Yeah, I can see it now with the headlines. <laughs> Playing hardly cool. <laughs> Unbelievable. Stanley, yeah. Yeah, uh, they'll eventually get around to it. Okay, look, I better let you go. It's going to be a, a cracking weekend of sport. I'm really looking yeah. forward to the snooker now. Um, yeah, enjoy it. I will. It's time for our weekly NFL slot. I'm delighted to be joined on the line now by the one and only and somewhat happier Stephen O'Brien from the UK Packers podcast. Hello, Steve. How are you? I'm good, Reg. I'm always kind of jolly, but I'm a bit jollier now because the Packers are winning, Reg. They're back on, t- and you found it? a new quarterback, and he's the real deal, and life is good, and the cheeseheads are happy. Uh, I tell you, <laughs> the Bears fans, Lions fans, Vikings fans are very annoyed because we went from Brett Favre, who was a Hall of Famer. We went to Aaron Ro- I'm not Now, look, I'm going to say... Your Jordan, name dropping now. Let's, let's, let's hold the ball here. I'm not saying that Jordan Love is going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, but yeah, we went from Brett Favre and then went to Aaron Rodgers. And then when Aaron Rodgers left, all of the people were sort of celebrating in the division that, you know, the Packers weren't going to be as good. Uh, but it turns out that Jordan Love is starting to look like the, the real deal. Um, it wasn't all that convincing, Reg, uh, because we went up against the Chargers two games ago. And people are saying, look, they're the worst defense in the NFL. Sure, you know, that's not a big achievement. But then we went up against the Lions on Thanksgiving a couple of days ago. They're eight and two. Uh, we had seventeen players injured, and we just absolutely knocked it out of the park. Played well on all phases, so uh, it's early shoots, but it's amazing, Reg. I mean, all the players for the Packers are super young, and uh, the defense is sort of seasoned, and they've been criticised this season. But um, from looking like our season was destroyed, and people were like, "Are we going to get the first pick in the draft because we're the worst team?" To now being in the playoff hunt is pretty crazy. Absolutely, yeah. Well, a good turnaround, but as they say, a week or two is a lot in sport, and that's uh, proving to be the case once again. Now, the Washington Commanders, they got blown out on Thanksgiving um, and fired their defensive coordinator. Things were so bad. Yeah, look, Jack Del Rio is his name. He was a head coach. Because you know the way it is. It's the same in English football, isn't it? Sometimes where a coach will get sacked. He's terrible. And then all of a sudden he's announced as the new coach somewhere else. And that's kind of what happened here. Jack Del Rio, he was a head coach for the Jacksonville Jags. And then he was the head coach for the Raiders. Um, didn't do too well there. But he was brought on by Ron Rivera when he got the job in 2019, Reg, for the Commanders. And when you have a guy who's an ex-head coach, 
they tend to be quite good because they understand what the head coach needs to do and what he wants from me and all this. And it seemed to be working out because they were a top 10 defense last year um, because Jack Del Rio was the defensive coordinator this time around. Uh, but they're bottom of the league this year and like in, in pretty bad you know, fashion. I mean, the, the team were getting absolutely blown out like they did on Thanksgiving and it kind of just accelerated uh, his departure. But they're very impatient with the commanders because... Uh, they used to be owned by a guy called Dan Schneider, and there was so much controversy around him uh, that he eventually kind of was forced into selling the team. So the new crowd that are in charge, they want results and they want them fast. Not only that, but they pumped so much money and draft picks into the defense that they expected, look, we were top 10 last year, we're going to be top five this year. And they've actually went backwards. It's sort of inexplicable that way. So I think Ron Rivera, um, especially because Jack Del Rio, not that they were super buddies before, but because he was one of the originals, Reg, it's sort of warning bells, isn't it? Because he sacks one of the guys that he brought on with him. I think he's trying to save his own job, but I don't know if it's going to be enough after this year. We could see him gone as well. Mm, interesting. We'll have to watch that carefully. Now, uh, the Jets, they benched their starting uh, quarterback, Zach Wilson, uh, again. Uh, How is he taking that? Better. Yeah. <laughs> he's taking it better this time, Red. Okay. Yeah, look, oh, God, we were talking about him last year, so he, um, he couldn't score. And I wouldn't mind Reg, right? And you sort of think, look, times are tough. Jordan Love, they've given him a chance and blah, 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 right? But the, the problem with Zach Wilson was is that he was seen as the answer for the Jets. They seen has like, you know, we've got this fantastic defense. All we need is the offense to play well. What do we need? We need a quarterback. So they drafted him second overall. So he was sort of seen as the future of the franchise, the face of the franchise. But he was terrible. And they had him in, uh, and his attitude was even worse. So they were asking him, if you remember last year, they said to him, oh, you know, do you feel like you let the defense down because you can't score? And he went, no. <laughs> You're kind of like, come on, mate. So they benched him. And then they brought him back. And the other reason they brought him back this year was because they brought in Aaron Rodgers from My Beloved Packers. And he was supposed to be the answer. And he was the missing piece, the missing link, Reg, to get the Jets all the way to the Super Bowl. Mm. Um, but then he got injured four snaps into his first game. And that's because the offensive line was terrible. But look, they brought Zach Wilson in. He actually played really well at the beginning. Um, and now they're on track to be one of the worst offenses ever. They're the first team since 20, 2009 to score fewer than 10 touchdowns in 10 games. And not only did they bench him, Reg, they put Tim Boyle, their backup, as quarterback one. They got another guy called Trevor Simeon as quarterback two. And then they put Zach Wilson as quarterback three just to make a statement. So you're thinking it's going to get better, right? And then they roll out on Thanksgiving against the Dolphins. And they have one of the worst highlight reels ever. Tim Boyle goes for a Hail Mary play at the end of the first half, trying to get some points before the half. Not only did the Dolphins catch it and intercept it, they run it back for a touchdown, and they got blown out on Thursday as well. So the Jets look like they've tanked again. And the, the expectations, Reg, were so high. It was Super Bowl for this team, and now they're looking like one of the worst teams in the NFL. Well, that's why Zach Wilson is happy, because he's sitting on the bench laughing at it all, going, told you so. <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, it's Pulling so in great, 100 million though. a week, probably. You know yourself. Oh, undoubtedly, yeah. Yeah, going, yeah like, that's fine. That's all dressing street clothes. You do your thing. Exactly. <laughs> can make a um, better of this team. So it's a bit of a mad um, series so far this year's uh, NFL. Playoff picture, is it too early to talk playoff predictions or can you get a bit of an idea? We can get a bit of an idea. More so now, Reds, and I'm not being biased, but the Packers are back in it. <laughs> so I've been looking at the playoff picture a little bit more closely now. Uh, but look, it's a you know yourself, Reg, it's, it's the same as every year. There's kind of a weird mix of teams that are dominating 
and they're like let's take a look at it right so we look at the dolphins in the afc they're eight and three they're first in their division obviously they're flying high they're number one and everyone wants to be number one in that sort of afc nfc because then you don't have to play the first game of the playoffs you get to rest your players so like the dolphins are flying high ravens flying high the chiefs are always up there jacksonville jags are kind of the surprise in the afc the browns uh, have been unbelievable as well Mm. and then you flip to the nfc uh, where the Packers are still in it, and the Packers are five and six, and we call them sort of on the bubble because they're one place back from sort of getting one of those wild card spots, and they're only one game behind the Vikings, who are six and five. Yeah. The Saints are leading their division, and they're five and five. So it's a real mix. But look, it's the same old names, Reg. Real quick: Dolphins, Ravens, Chiefs, Eagles, Niners. The Lions, unfortunately, are up there, but we're going to try to do something about that. But, uh, yeah, it's all starting to shape up already. Okay, well, you've got very little time, but I'd love to get your ACA, so can you give it to me very quickly? Really quick, 5.5 to 1 odds, 10 are down, uh, 65 back. So Texans to beat the Jags, they're the underdogs. Patriots to beat the Giants, minus 3.5. And Eagles to beat the Bills on minus 3. So that's 10 are down, 65 back. I'm for golf now, and I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Johnny McCann of the Wonderful Bogeyman Podcast. Morning, Johnny. How are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Great. Um, yeah, it's been uh, a fantastic season of golf. It's good to catch up with you again uh, about it all. And just uh, to say, you know, Rory McIlroy won the DP World Tour race to, uh, to Dubai for a fifth time and uh, another incredible season from him you know it's it's funny with Rory I think he's probably least appreciated in his own country you know that because I think he's always there thereabouts he's in those top 10 finishes all the time but I think because he's not maybe getting as many majors as we think he should we don't give him the credit that he deserves but he's still banging out those titles He is indeed I think Rory's a, a victim of his own success he's probably one of the top Five ten best golfers in the history of the sport, mm. but he yeah he won his fifth DP World Tour uh, race to by Championship after just nine playing nine events in the DP World Tour. He won the Hero Dubai Desert Classic and the Scottish Shedden's Open, and then had three top seven finishes in the majors this year. He did say in his first round um, trophy presentation at the DP World Tour Championship that his he is setting his sights on winning majors now in twenty twenty four. He said, it's been a good couple of years, the last few years, but I want to kick on now, try to win more majors, and that's where my focus is going to be. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see a few uh, more majors added to his name. Yeah, I do wonder what that looks like, though, for someone like Rory. I mean, because I do feel that a lot of the problem for him, not that I know a huge amount, but it feels like he puts so much pressure on himself around major time that he almost plays and talks himself out of it that he needs to be a little bit more relaxed around the majors and then it may happen for him a little bit more the way it does in the other events Yeah, possibly so I think in the last few weeks he's been making a few of the right moves he resigned from the PGA Tour policy board Mm. Rory was very involved in a lot of the things off the golf course when he came to the PGA Tour he stepped away from a lot of those responsibilities now so his focus is definitely on being a golfer Okay. Yeah. Well, let's hopefully that will lead to those majors that we so uh, so desire. Uh, okay. Nikolai uh, Hogard won the first Rolex Series title with a back nine birdie barrage, uh, closing for a sixty-four. An absolutely incredible round of golf for the twenty-two-year-old Dane. Yeah, it was it was an incredible day. He was the leader at the, um, the Tour Championship this year after rounds one and two. Matt Wallace, um, former. Ryder Cup player shot a third round 60 so that was um, 11 under par 
for the for the third round to go three shots ahead. But uh, Nikolai got went, went right back into the mix with the front nine thirty three in the final round, and then from the thirteenth hole to the seventeenth, he went birdie, 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 birdie. So five birdies in his last six holes to hold off challenges from Matt Wallace, Tommy Fleetwood, Victor Hovland, some of the best in, in Europe and best in the world. And um, this is his third win on DP World Tour. He played in the Ryder Cup this year in Rome. He's he's someone that Europe will be building their golf around, which is uh, very exciting. Absolutely. Okay, talk to me about Ludwig Eiborg clinching that PGA uh, title uh, just six months after turning professional. Well, yeah, we talk about uh, young Europeans that we're going to be building our golf around. Ludwig Eiborg is, is exactly that. He turned professional in June in his second start on the DP World Tour. He won in Switzerland. He got picked by Lou Donald to play in the Ryder Cup team. He won three out of four points. Uh, and then just a few weeks later, he's now gone and won the PGA Tour. A couple of years ago, when he was still in college, people were talking about Ludwig being the perfect golfer. When you look at his golf swing, he is he is pretty much that. He's um, he's lived up to a lot of the hype already in the first six months of his career. And I, I think what he could do in golf could be very, very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just 22 to be able to uh, manage that type of pressure is quite incredible. Uh, maybe, maybe the fear factor isn't there when they're that young. Maybe that's what it is. Possibly. I mean, Pork Hanjan famously is quoted as saying that your first couple of seasons on tour, you have the, um, the good fortune of just being kind of naive to what tour life is like. And so you go from playing college golf or elite amateur golf, being very good at that level and then taking that to golf. But then when you play a few more years on the PGA Tour, DP World, you kind of get scar tissue and you you, you remember some of the bad shots. So there's the uh, the, the ignorance of youth, I think, for times, <laughs> what I called it. Yeah, when you're young, you think it's never going to end and nothing can go wrong. It's only as you get older you realise the pitfalls that can be there along the way. But if you can avoid those and get that out of your head, well, there's no stopping you. Um, Bernd uh, Weisberger returns uh, to the DP Tour two seasons in live I suppose uh, controversial is the only way you can describe it uh, being allowed back in and I suppose that's the start of what we're going to see now where players who've jumped ship and how it's going to be reacted to now when they try and move back to the DP World Tour Yeah I think this is an interesting one so Bernd Fiesberger signed a two year deal with Lee, with Liv um, he didn't hold his place he, he didn't perform in his second season and so he lost his lost his spot in that 48-person league. He, he never resigned his his membership for the DP World Tour, and like, like, like Sergio Garcia, Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, they all resigned membership. But what Bert Wiesberger had to do was comply with any of the, the regulations around getting back into the DP World Tour, and that involved, that included financial and um, a couple of the kind of regulations and breaches that he had to pay for. So I think it was about 150000 per every event that you didn't compete in. Um, and so he played in, or didn't play in two years' worth of events. So that's about 60 events. So a hefty enough financial fine that he's going to have to pay for. But he paid it and he's been accepted back in and he's been paying solely on the DP World Tour in 2024. Yeah, okay, well, best of luck and see how that all uh, works out. I see as well, uh, one I, I can't believe, but Tiger is coming back to play uh, in, in a tournament, even though the leg and the injury and everything else that he's had. Yeah, so Tiger hosts the, um, the Hero Championship, Hero World Championship in oh. the Bahamas. It's a small field event, about 20, 30 players that play in it. It's not a world-ranking event. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so it's kind of the ideal return for for Tiger. It's, it's warm weather. He, he's spoken before about how he's he's not great in the cold. So I don't think we're ever going to see him competing in the likes of the Open or the Scottish Open or those bigger events. But this event is a small field event. Um, the fact that he can even walk is, is a bit of a miracle. We've seen over the last few weeks he's been caddying for his son Charlie in a couple of different high school events. Yeah. Uh, over two, two, three, four days. So he's been building a bit of muscle and, and working out a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, be able to see Tiger Woods play golf again now at any kind of level is, is a treat. Absolutely, yeah. And Charlie's not bad either, I can tell you. I've watched plenty of videos of him. <laughs> My God, that kid can play golf. There's no question about it. Uh, finally, then, a good news story. I, I, I follow you on Twitter and I saw that story you put up about the uh, caddy from Lehinch. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so we we host uh, a golf podcast, Bogeyman, but part of that we also go to a county in Ireland every summer uh, called Tea Time. And so this year we went to La Hinch, and naturally when when you're when you're in Clare, you visit La Hinch Old mm. Course, the Castle Course. And we we were very lucky. We we met up with a group of Americans when we were in the clubhouse, just having a chat with them. And one of the the, the ringleaders of that that group, we we'll call them, was saying how his very very best friend back in um, 1988 went over to play Le Hinch for the very first time and he had a 10-year-old called Ollie on his bag caddying for him. That same guy then came back 20-odd years back, 20 years ago, yeah. so 2008, uh, to play around in golf and he was walking into the caddy masters and he had a photo of himself and his 10-year-old Ollie and asked, is Ollie still here? As luck would have it, Ollie was walking off the 18th green after caddying for another group. <laughs> he saw his friend, the American, they, they embraced, and Ollie picked his bag up and they went for another 18 hole. And yeah, it was a lovely story. It's time for us to get a roundup now of all things that are happening GAA around the capital. Here's Declan Drake. Mixed news, Reggie, last weekend for two of our Senior 1 champions in their bid for provincial and ultimately All-Ireland club glory. Kilmacud Croaks, the three-in-a-row football champions in the county, continue their quest for a hat-trick of Leinster titles by claiming a five-point last-four win over RD St Mary's last Sunday. 116 to 111 was how it finished up there. Dara Dempsey, the Croaks goal scorer. Purple and gold are actually 10 points ahead at half time in that one, but they have advanced to secure their final berth against Kildare Outfit Nace next Saturday at Croke Park. Congratulations from the crew here on Dublin's Talking Sport, uh, GA with Declan Drake, to Ballyboden St Enders, who secured the Minor A Football Championship title at O'Toole Park last Sunday. The Fairhouse Road youngsters sharing nine goals with Kilmacud Croaks, winning out 6-8 to 3-7 at the Crumlin venue. To hurling and this afternoon, Nafina are back on the road for their semi-final date with Nace in the Leinster Club Championship. Nilo Calicon's first-time Dublin winners were victors over Raharney in the previous round. The Moby Road crew travelled to Omore Park in Portleash for a 3pm throw-in this afternoon. So safe travels to all there and every best wish to the team in their bid to make a Croke Park final to contest, of course, what is a vacant Leinster title. Back in the city tomorrow at O'Toole Park, the Minor A Hurling Championship will be decided. Luke and Sarsfields and Kilmacud Croaks scheduled to go head-to-head there from 11 o'clock. 
The annual Friends of Dublin Hurling Awards took place last night and some of the notable winners there in hurling, Dara Gray of Whitehall Column Kill was selected as the Senior Player of the Year with Paddy Doyle of Nave Barogue claiming the Young Player Gong. Nafina were named Club of the Year. Meanwhile in Camogie, Abby Couch of Oliver Plunkett's Own Rua claimed the Senior Player Award while Abby Ryan of Crumlin, well she made her way back home with the Young Player Award last night. So special congratulations to Abby, a club made of course on her achievement there. It was a special night too for former County Board Chairman Sean Shanley of Crave Kiron, who was uh, chosen as the Hall of Fame recipient. Well done to Sean there. To the ladies scene and full-time disappointment last week for St Vincent's Arcamogi Queens who lost their Leinster title going down to Kilkenny side Dixborough at Netwatch Cullen Park. Two points between the sides at the end of the afternoon. 12 points to 1-7. The Kilkenny ladies winning out. Finally this week, heartiest congratulations to eight Dublin ladies footballers who were honoured with TG Carter All-Star Awards last Saturday night. Abby Shields of Lucan was chosen in gold for the first time. Kula duo Martha Byrne and Jennifer Dunn were joined by another duo, this time from Nafina in Leah Caffrey and Hannah Tyrrell. Elsewhere, there were awards for Lauren McGee, Skipper Carla Rowe of Clonwira and Ballantyre St John's Orla Nolan, all making a, a night to remember to complete a never-to-be-forgotten year. Good morning, Will. How are you? Very good, thanks Reggie, how are you? I'm oh, great, thanks, great, good to talk to you uh, an exciting weekend ahead of us, there's no question about it um, probably we'll have to start with the Leinster-Munster game, probably uh, Munster fans feeling a little bit underwhelmed um, considering they're missing a couple of their stars through injury and other reasons and they're up against a formidable Leinster squad, there's no doubt about it, after losing in that semi-final last year Leinster not taking any chances in this game and they've packed out the team, haven't they? Yeah, it's a funny one, I think most Leinster fans would have much preferred this team selection uh, last May in that semi-final, but here we are yeah, it's a very formidable team it really feels like the the club season properly starts uh, today I've been tuning in obviously I'm sure you have as well over the last couple of weekends enjoying what I've seen mm. but it, it's very much been building to the return of the internationals and, and some big games to come like as you said Leinster have picked their absolutely strongest team like the, the the loss of that semi-final even though a lot of these guys weren't playing is definitely fueling them they've been mentioning in the build-up I'm expecting a big performance today and I think they need one mm. I've been kind of underwhelmed by Leinster the, the kind of the I don't even want to call them fringe players in some cases, but maybe the step below the internationals. I don't think anyone's really grabbed their chance in a big way. In previous World Cup cycles, we've seen Hugo Keenan, Will Connors, Caelan Doris, Guy Ringrose emerging in this kind of period before internationals came back. I don't think anyone's really done that to the same extent this time. So I think it's kind of as you were in terms of team selections for big games to come, but I do expect them to come out and put on a big performance today. Yeah, and were you surprised in any way with the selections uh, made by Munster? I think there was a few Munster commentators I was talking to during the week a little bit surprised with um, some of their team selection. I am, I suppose, trying to get into the head of Graham Roundtree, like, what, what, what's he thinking? Like, he knew Leinster were going to go for a very strong team. Munster have some big matches in the next couple of weeks, Champions Cup ties where they've had a, you know, a good draw, so maybe they're focusing a bit more on that. I am surprised. I thought they might go a little stronger in their selection. But 
I still expect him to, you know, to, to put in a big performance. Like Jack Crowley, it's a big day for him today, yeah. going head to head with Ross Byrne. He obviously had the inside track in the Ireland 23 during the World Cup. So it's kind of almost like a trial run to see who might be able to get in for that Six Nations uh, opener against France. But yeah, I am surprised, to be honest. Like Leinster Munster is the jewel in the crown. There's been a lot of talk this week about how the rivalry is the healthiest been in a long time in terms of interest and a bit of bite and a bit of niggle. So you do want to see both teams at full strength. As it is, Leinster are 15-point favourites with their strongest team out versus a Munster team, which, while decent, is not their absolute best. So I'm expecting a fairly yes, big enough Leinster win just given the teams that have been picked. Yeah, and, and, and that's what love, Munster fans love to hear and Munster team love to hear <laughs> is uh, everybody writing them off before they even start um, gives them that little bit of fuel and, and to be fair, the bench there's plenty of talent there on that bench to come in, so you got Gleeson, Kendellan Murray's there as well on that bench um, Dave Kilcoyne Ryan, uh, you know th- there is maybe a little bit more bite there than you would have had in the past but then again of course, that's not a bad replacement bench they have for uh, Leinster either so there's no doubt it's going to be tough to where where do you think like I I should mention as well um, and we'll come back to it Simon Zebo but where do you think um, Munster have to kind of lay down a marker in this one in order to to have any hope of getting the result well if you look at where Leinster have been kind of knocked back in the last few years it has been in the tight exchanges like La Rochelle they're packed. They squeeze the life out of Leinster in that Champions Cup final. Like the semi-final against Munster isn't particularly relevant for me, given the team Leinster pick. But that final and the final the year before Marseille had kind of similar kind of points of, of kind of disappointment for Leinster. And that as the game wore on, the physical toll left them with very little left in the tank. I just don't see Munster being able to get nearer to replicating that. Um, just with the the pack Leinster have picked, if you think the the profile of the La Rochelle pack, you know, Will Skelton, Gregory Aldred, Weenie Antonio, these guys are not available to Munster. So I'm not sure if they're going to be able to slow Leinster down in the same way that La Rochelle did. That is the recipe. Like Saracens before that, you know, defensively were able to swarm them with their big forwards as well. Will Skelton was involved in one of those finals. So that's the recipe, it, it appears, mm. to, to, to beating this Leinster team. Whether Munster can do that, I, I, I'd be sceptical, just given the, the strong, you know, kind of forward pack Leinster have today. Like, there's only very few teams in Europe who, who, who can slow them down. So if Leinster aren't able to put Munster away relatively comfortably today, it would be a concern, I think, considering they are as strong as they can be, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, I... I... Yeah, I, I have my doubts that Munster will be able to. I think uh, I think this Leinster team are going out with a point to prove, and um, I think it's going to be a tough one for Munster. But it is good to see Simon Zebo back in there in that fullback position. Um, a lot of people kind of wondering about Simon and where he's at. So I think uh, he's probably needs a, a decent performance himself today. Definitely, it's a funny one. I, you're not the only one who's kind of been. I don't be surprised when you know his name was listed as 15 in the mm. team sheet. It feels like he's barely played a big game yeah. since he's come back um, from from Racing. It's definitely been a very disappointing couple of seasons for him. He came back obviously with an IM being at the World Cup. His first season in particular, I think you know he picked up an injury and then he got a random red card. I think against Ulster, it was on New Year's Day, and he he never really got a run of fixtures. And then obviously with the emergence of 
kind of young backs like Calvin Nash and Shane Daly on the wings. They kind of nailed down those two spots. Mike Haley was the favourite 15. But if he plays well today and maybe gets a bit of a run, I don't think with Mike Haley being injured, like, there's definitely an opportunity there. I don't think as good as Mike Haley played in the run-in last year, I don't think he's nailed on necessarily if Simon Z, he's not Hugo Keenan. So if Simon Zebo can hit a bit of form, yeah. there still is a place for him at Munster. The international ship, it's funny, you'd say has failed, but at the same time, Hugo Keenan is, besides Hugo Keenan, there's no real obvious second full-back. So if you're starting for a province at full-back and playing well, I suppose by de facto you were almost in and around the frame, but he's 33 now. He's going to be 34, I think, in February or March. Like I would say the international ship is closed, but that doesn't say there's, not to say there's a lot of rugby silly played at club level. And he's mm. back in the frame today, the biggest game Munster have played so far this season. It could be tough going, but if he plays well, he'll emerge with a lot of credit because this is a really tough opponent he's playing today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll see how that all unfolds. There's no doubt they're up against it today, uh, but it uh, should still hold a, a little bit of bite, um, as it always does in, in that uh, fixture. OK, let's move on. Uh, Glasgow at home to Ulster. Both teams are not bad form. I mean, they've won four games and lost one. Uh, Ulster... I just, I, I, it's always so hard to know where they really are at. Like when, when it comes down to it, do they have what's needed, and is there enough kind of bottle there in them? But Glasgow away, Kitschoff uh, arriving during the week. He's on the bench. Not a bad, um, you know, replacement to be able to bring on. But I, I just feel this might be a little bit of a tough one for them going away to Glasgow. Yeah, Glasgow is is one of the toughest places to go in the league. We saw week one. Leinster went with what I thought was a, a very strong team in the circumstances, and Glasgow absolutely destroyed them. Mm-hmm. That was one of the games I referred to earlier when I said I haven't been impressed. Like I would have expected Leinster, but guys like you know Max Deegan, Scott Penny, Harry Byrne, Karen Frawley, they were all like these are guys that we consider you know almost fringe internationals, and yeah. they were absolutely taken to the cleaners, and they also beat the Stormers, <coughs> excuse me, quite comfortably um, at home as well. So they're, they're a very difficult team to turn over in Scotston. I would expect Ulster to maybe struggle a bit, but again, I haven't been overly impressed with them. But at the same time, you know they they got an important win over Munster. They 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 haven't you know they've been pretty successful so far results wise. But I still think they're a team going backwards. To be honest, the the peak of the Don McFarlane there was probably about two years ago. And while the age profile of the squad is pretty good, none of the players have really kicked on. In fact, they've all really gone backwards. James Hume, Robert Balakun, Nick Timoney, Michael Lowry. All of these guys were closer to the Ireland team two years ago than they are now, which isn't a good thing to be saying about guys in their mid-20s to late-20s when they should be playing the best rugby of their career. They're slipping backwards. Likewise, Jacob Stockdale. I know he's been injured, but he hasn't been playing very good rugby either. So a lot of these young players need to just rediscover that, that bit of that spark they had you know, a season or two ago when Ulster were very much a team on the rise. Until they do that, they'll kind of be plotting where they are. They're good enough to get into the URC playoffs, but no further. They're probably good enough to get to the last 16 of Europe, but no further. You mentioned Stephen Kitchoff. He's an unbelievable sign, to be fair. He's one of the best loose heads in the world, in particular at the scrum. I think Paul Leinster and Munster would love if he was in their squad. I know Leinster in particular, you know, in terms of La Rochelle I mentioned earlier, having him in your 23 would be would be phenomenal to counteract some of that La Rochelle power. But Ulster have him you know, will he be the missing piece? I don't think so, unless some of these young guys, as I said, rediscover their top form. 
it's difficult to light it all up from loose edge. It can be a huge <laughs> contribution, but I think maybe it's in their back line that they might need a few uh, superstars uh, to be added as well. So we'll see what happens with that one. Okay, Connacht, great result last week. Um, I was surprised, I have to be honest with you. I didn't think they'd quite get there last week, but they managed to hold on and, and it was a really, really good result. Up against it again this week in what will be a very strong bull side, though. Oh, very much so. Like I, I don't think the Bulls have been defeated by a European team at home, if I'm not mistaken, since they joined the URC. Loftus first out as one of the cauldrons to, to visit the very strong record there. I think they put 70 points on Leinster there uh, last season. But as I said, that Sharks victory was so crucial for Connor because they're in an absolute gauntlet of a run after the Bulls. I think they play Leinster, then they have Saracens in the, and, the, and Bordeaux in the Champions Cup. And then they have like kind of a, a, a clash against Munster. I think they play Connacht or say Ulster again. So it's a really tough run of fixtures. So picking up any wins when you can in this run, it's not a bonus, I would say, but it, it's close to it because like to go to South Africa and beat the Sharks is a massive achievement. Even though they've had a poor start to the season, anyone in South Africa is vital. And I've actually been really impressed with Connacht this season. They kind of threw away a game against Edinburgh away that they could have won, but they had won their three opening games. You know, they hammered a Glasgow team who themselves had hammered uh, Leinster. They obviously got that comeback win over Ulster. And they're playing some really good rugby as well. Like Kyle Ford at inside centre has been a revelation. I've been so impressed with Craylon Blade. Like he, at URC level, he is so dangerous and so sharp and such a threat around the pitch. He he comes up with loads of tries, loads of try assists. So he's another person I've been really impressed with. And they're real shrewd in the transfer market. You know, Joe Joyce comes in from Bristol, second row. Wouldn't have been lighting it up or anything, but he's been so physical and he's been putting himself about the place. He's Irish qualified. They just have this ability to kind of shop and maybe not the bargain man. I don't want to be too harsh on Joe Joyce but they're not signing in these big marquee names but they slot in really seamlessly into the style of play Connick like to play and it just adds to the overall flavour you know the Australians that Andy Friend bring in were really really successful for the most part Matt Hansen obviously most notably but I've just been really impressed with their start to the season generally. I don't expect them to win today. The Bulls have been the, the top South African side so far this season. And one of the actual storylines has been how poor the South Africans have been. Mm. I noticed the Springbok guys haven't been involved, but that's often been the case in the last few years, and they've still got a lot of uh, victories, like even the Stormers losing to, to Cardiff last night was a bit of a surprise. So I do still think the Bulls have a bit more than their other South African counterparts. I think they'll win, but if Connor can come out of this with a losing bonus point, a try bonus point, or both, that's still valuable as we look towards the latter half of the season when the fixture list will become a little more favourable. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, just to finish then, uh, Will, I just see it being reported that um, former Ireland coach, of course, Joe Schmidt, there's quite a bit of rumour going around that he could be the next Australian boss. Um, probably wouldn't be a bad appointment, but he'd have a lot of work to do when he goes over there. Yeah, he'd have a lot of work to do, judging from the World Cup. First and foremost, to kind of undo some of the carnage that Eddie Jones wrought in what was one of the seven or eight game tenure or ten games or something like that. I think it'd be a great appointment. There's no obvious internal candidate for me. Like None of the Australian franchises in Super Rugby have been playing particularly well or doing anything of a note. So they were probably always going to look potentially outside. I think Joe Schmidt has put himself back in the shop window as a top rugby mind. Not that it was ever really in doubt, but obviously the art and tenure ending the way it did. People almost forgot how well drilled he can have a team. Mm. Like 
the All Black signature performance had Joe Schmidt's fingerprints all over it against Ireland, I think he'd be a great hire because as bad as Australia has been, they, they can't just let it kind of go to the dogs. Like they have a Lions tour in two years, they have a World Cup in four years. They they have to be competitive in, in those things. Those events are. You know, the Lions Tour would be a non-event, and the World Cup, when the host arm competitive, is is far less spectacle than it than it should be. I think he'd be a great hire. I think they should snap him up as soon as possible. And it's funny, like, there was talk that maybe he might kind of not retire, but like step away from coaching after the All Blacks, kind of one last hurrah. But I wonder if it just kind of reignited his fire for the top level of the game. I always thought it was so disappointing when after the Ireland um, job, he kind of just went into an administrative role with rugby. I think someone like that who has so much kind of rugby knowledge. I think it's a shame when he's still a relatively young man by, you know, people working to their mid-60s, late-60s now. I think he should be involved with the top level of the game. So I'd be delighted to see him come back. Might not be saying that in a few years when Australia are really competitive again, but at the moment I would love to see it. I think he'd be a great appointment. Good morning, Al. How are you? I'm good, Reggie. How are you? I'm great, yes. I'm sure you were watching the Toy Show last night in the morning myself. You're full of quality street today, yeah? Glued to it. It's an annual tradition, Reggie. I, I said it to Ken earlier. It's not Christmas till you watch that, so now we can start <laughs> to feel like it's it's on the way. Okay. Um, it wasn't unexpected, so we've been flagging it for a while, but uh, Stephen Kenny and his entire coaching staff relieved of their duties uh, during the week. Uh, tough tenure for him, there's no question about it. Where to now for Ireland? Yeah, that's the big question, Reggie, and I suppose... Um, there's one candidate that I, that I think is probably the firm favourite amongst the public in terms of um, the youthful squad that we have and the style of football that Stephen has tried to implement and can we carry that forward? And that's probably Lee Carsley with the England under-21s. And then you have a mix of four or five managers who have done okay in their careers, probably were better players than they were managers. The likes of Keane, Steve Bruce, Neil Lennon's very well at Celtic. Uh, so there's a little cohort there, four or five, that are also being in the mix. Um, but I think the likes of those experienced managers would bring something totally different than Carsley. Um, so because I don't think they'll get Carsley. If I was Lee Carsley, you probably wouldn't leave the England under 21s. And his stock is very high at the moment. And I suppose the next probably job for him might be a club manager's job in England. I feel as though he could take the national team job here in Ireland in another five or ten years, maybe. Um, whereas the other ones are probably looking to reignite their careers as managers or feel as though there's something still to offer. So. It's probably up to the FEI. I think from Roy Keane's point of view, I see that there seems to be, we, you often judge these things by the bookies and he's there's been a lot of money, it seems, or there's definitely people backing him because he's gone into favouritism. And I think with Keane, what he would bring, uh, I'd love to see it myself from a point of view of the exposure and the publicity. And when you think of, I suppose, the trouble that the FEI are in financially, he'd be box office that have a sponsor lined up that have three or four sponsors lined up tomorrow I'd say Reggie if he was to take over so they're probably the decisions that they have to make um, I'm not sure where they'll go or what they'll do as I said they'd probably love to get Carsley but I don't think they'd get him then amongst the other four or five it's anyone's guess um, Do you think it would be a job that Keane would want though? I mean you know how in the past he's been so adamant around setups and facilities and uh, you know having everything in place and, and the FAI certainly doesn't feel like it's at that point yet um, I don't know would Keane be interested in walking into that and trying to effectively have to start from the very bottom and work it all the way back up again Yeah it's certainly not in place 
uh, facilities around the country and they, obviously the FBI have problems as we all know um, in that regard mm. but Stephen Kenny has brought a professionalism to the senior team mm. and behind the scenes by all accounts it's very very professional and all the resources that he asked for and looked to improve on were given to him uh, so I think that's in place in terms of the national team and that would certainly entice Keane then you look at the group of players and he'd be wondering all managers feel as though they can get a tune out of a group of players Reggie yeah. and then I suppose you have to ask the question he's a proud Irish man I'm sure he feels as though he might have unfinished business. He's always spoken about maybe getting back into the managerial game, even though he's on a very, um, I wouldn't call it a cushy number, but on a very nice number at Sky, and he can probably pick and choose his matches, and things are going really well in that regard, because mm. as I say, he's box office. So that's the decision he'd have to make, because he wants to leave that and fall back in under the scrutiny and the pressure of trying to win matches. Uh, but the fact that it's Ireland. I definitely think he'd be open to a conversation 100% because I still feel as though he has that fire in the belly, especially when it comes to the Irish team. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll watch that space very carefully because, as you said, it is box office name. And if it were to happen, it would uh, certainly give a boost to everybody. But there'd be a lot of pressure, no doubt about it. Uh, I see another appointment um, closer to home. So Cork City, they've announced Tim Clancy as uh, their new man in charge. Yeah, good appointment. Uh, Reggie, because I felt that's where they made the mistake last year after Colin Healy left. There was too much uncertainty both on and off the pitch for them and they let the season drift and dwindle, um, making a couple of wrong appointments, if you like, and just messing around, found themselves relegated. But now that they're back in the first division, it might be a, 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 a good starting point in terms of rebuilding and trying to start from scratch and be more better prepared if they were to get promoted back up into the Premier Division. And I think Tim will bring that. He's a very good manager. Um, and it's a really good appointment for Cork City. Mm, yeah, well, the best of luck with that one. OK, uh, there was a break, of course, with international uh, duty, but it's back to Premier League action this week, and uh, I think uh, not half soon enough for a lot of people, there's no <laughs> question about it. But the big one, um, City, one point between themselves and Liverpool, this one is going to be a huge game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Reggie, obviously kicking off early as well, a couple mm. of hours, so it uh, should be an absolute cracker. Uh, two brilliant teams, City are obviously the, the flag bearers, as we all know. They set the standards, an unbelievable team. Liverpool have put it up to them uh, two or three years ago, but with a different team. Whereas I feel Liverpool are getting back towards that level now with this new-look team, especially the midfield area. A lot of fresh faces there, uh, lots of energy, lots of quality. Sabasalai, McAllister, Gravenberch. Um, and I think they'll, they'll cause City all sorts of problems. Uh, and they always do, because I think when you listen to Guardiola, he speaks about the threat that Liverpool have, particularly in those forward areas as well. Salah, uh, Luis Diaz, Nunes is a different threat altogether. That's something they haven't faced before. Big physical presence will look to battle and fight them. Um, so I think it's going to be a cracking game. And I think they will cause City problems. It's a tough one to call, but I think Liverpool could cause them a few problems. And I think Liverpool are in the mix as well, Reggie. You know I've backed Arsenal to, to win the league. I yeah. still think um, I'm, I'm not veering away from that. Obviously, City are the, everyone's favourites, but I think Arsenal are still up there and haven't hit the heights of what they did last year so they're still very much in the mix but I think Liverpool are in the mix as well And then like I said uh, Haaland you know I think um, 13 goals so far this season already just ahead of Mo Salah um, so it's the battle of the strikers as well Yeah and the weird thing is it almost feels as though Haaland has been quiet this year mm. <laughs> whereas last year when he was banging in the goals it was almost like he was the talk of every conversation seems to be not a lot not a lot of talk about him this season but as you say 13 goals speaks for itself it's phenomenal really mm-hmm. um, and then you have Salah on the other hand probably the fittest I've seen Salah he's always fit and sharp but he, he looks like he's really determined this year uh, looks really really strong and fit and I think 
he's going to have an unbelievable season again this year. He's been amazing for them. And I'd be really interested to see who comes out on top, particularly the defensive area, because I think you can get at City, even though they have a very strong defence. But I think Liverpool can be vulnerable in defence. But Van Dijk, to be fair, looking at him even in the international window with, with the Netherlands and even against ourselves, now not that we offer much of a trek going forward, but he just looks as though he's getting back to his best uh, Van Dijk as well. So that'll be interesting to see who comes out on top in the defensive areas and that'll have a big say in who wins the match. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so um, in other news as well, uh, announced that Everton are getting those points deducted uh, for the financial irregularities and losses exceeded uh, by them. What did you make of that? I mean, I know why it's been put in place, but what's an awful burden on a club at this stage of the season, doesn't it? Well, the 10 points seems very harsh, uh, Reggie. I think they had to be penalised to have broken a law or broken a rule. They had to be penalised. I think they were probably predicting it might be two points, four points, but 10 is, it seems a lot. Mm. And I suppose the knock-on effect of this is the fact that they were only facing one charge and got deducted 10 points. What will the likes of Man City and Chelsea be hit with when they're faced with so many charges? And I suppose that's the big question for people at the moment because it seems as though they've set a precedent now and they can't veer away from that. The fact that Man City are facing 115 charges. Um, now, I know across, it's not just the Premier League, UA, it's through UEFA, FIFA, all that kind of stuff. So that's why it's taken so much longer to delve into all that and try and have, obviously, all their ducks in a row when they do come to charge them. But I would dread to think what they're going to do to them them teams if they've been as forceful as this on Everton. I, I said it to Ken earlier, I think they'll be down playing Wrexham next season. I think if they, they will. <laughs> I think they will, Reggie. And that's the, that's the, I suppose, the big question is, is will they carry through and will they be brave enough to, to make a decision as such as relegating them or yeah. whatever the case may be? Because when you're as strong as you are on Everton on one charge, what are they going to do to the likes of Man City? Yeah, well, you got to be consistent. Uh, if they're Absolutely. not, they'll make a fool of everything if they don't. Okay, you... Yeah, you uh, Thankfully, you were very confident about Arsenal's chances. We're away to Brentford. It's not an easy one, uh, but we could certainly do with that result. Do you think we could get it done? Yeah, tough game. Reggie away from home. Brentford have picked up before the window as well. Got a couple of good results. And, um, good good team, as we know. Caused teams problems. Thomas Frank, good manager. But I just think Arsenal, um, they might get into their groove now. It's been a bit stop-start with the international windows. They haven't really hit the heights adjusting a couple of players into the team as well but yet they're still up there and I think Arteta will take that at this stage of the season without the fact that they haven't really hit the heights of last year so I'm expecting a big second half now from from uh, Arsenal and Arteta and really get into their groove and try and put real pressure on the likes of Man City and Liverpool at the top I did tip them at the start I'm not changing my mind Reggie I'll mm. stick with it um, and I think they'll get the job done against Brentford today Another, and I know how much you enjoy watching Spurs, another cracking game this weekend to look forward to tomorrow. Spurs at home to Aston Villa. Uh, just a point between these two as well. So this is going to be another mouth-watering game. Yeah, this is brilliant too. The teams that play probably the most attacking football of everyone. It's amazing, uh, the football to play. And up to now, Postacoglu has got amazing plaudits and compliments, and rightly so. But I think we should be giving the same kind of compliments to Unai Emery at Villa as well, Reggie. When you think of the job that he's done since yeah. he's come in, it's been absolutely amazing. Um, plays similar to Spurs in the sense that it's all out attack, uh, great to watch and um, it should be a cracking game tomorrow as well, I'm really looking forward to it it's just a pity Spurs are not a full strength they'll probably have the, the suspensions of Romero, Madison, Van de Veen a couple of players missing and they're key players and they're just at the stage because they're, they're so they're probably in their infancy and their development under this manager, they just don't have the strength and depth at the moment to cater for the likes of a Madison or a Van de Veen missing 
uh, but it still should be a cracking game. Okay, yeah, I'm just about out of time, but quickly, your thoughts on United, Everton, will they kind of bounce back at home after this points reduction, or will United get the job done? Well, that's the big thing, and I think that's what Sean Dyche will play into, Reggie, that'll certainly galvanise them, the team, the fans, the supporters, I think there's going to be big protests at the game as well, and they'll be right behind their team, and Everton have been in decent form as well, Mm. Um, so if they can maintain that form, they still should be alright, and I like Sean Dyche, as you know, so I think Everton will be fine, Reggie. Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend.